Welcome to Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care Podcast, a show featuring conversations with people living with cancer, caregivers, survivors, loved ones, and the bereaved. Hosted by oncology social workers, Cancer Out Loud takes a closer look at the cancer experience using the power of storytelling. This season, we're talking about the importance of cancer screening, fostering resiliency, finding hope, building your support system, and much more. This podcast is produced by Cancer Care, the leading national organization providing free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. Hi, all, and welcome back to another episode of Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care Podcast. This is your host, Sarah Paul, and I'm the Director of Clinical Programs at Cancer Care and an oncology social worker. I'd like to introduce you all to our guest today, Joy. Joy, tell us about yourself. Well, first off, Sarah, thanks so much for having me on the show. It's been really great to meet you and look forward to sharing my story today. So as you said, I am Joy Huber, and I am a stage four young adult survivor of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it's been over 12 years now since I was diagnosed. So that should give the listeners a tremendous amount of hope about all that can be done after you're diagnosed with cancer. I am many things. I'd say I'm the author of a book called Cancer with Joy, which of course has a double meaning since my name is Joy. I also host a free weekly podcast called Dose of Joy to give you a dose of uh, inspiration, encouragement, and being uplifted to complement the dose of your other medicines that you are taking. I really aim to guide others through cancer since I have been there. And so I do coach others individually as well. And I've done professional speaking to groups at hospitals or cancer survivor events, and also dabbled a little bit in music with songwriting. So a whole lot of things there. Wow. Thank you, Joyce, so much for that great introduction. And I just want to jump right in today and kind of talk more about what happened at the initial of your diagnosis. Can you tell me a little bit more about the road to your cancer diagnosis? Sure. I was actually asymptomatic. And so I would say this all really began in the winter of 2009. And probably the first symptom I was having were night sweats. However, I live in the Midwest and I didn't recognize those symptoms because as I mentioned, I'm a young adult cancer survivor. So I was just 33 at the time. And so when I had these night sweats or would wake up and my t-shirt or whatever I'm sleeping in was a little damp, I honestly just thought I had my electric blanket turned up too hot. (laughs) So it took a bit. I was actually wanting to move from the Midwest out to the Nashville, Tennessee area. I mentioned I've dabbled in songwriting and wanted to be there in Music City and pursue that more. My mom had actually noticed a lump on the right side of my neck. And I just thought, maybe I'm gaining a little weight. Maybe my face is getting a little fuller but it wasn't symmetrical or on both sides of your face. And so she encouraged me to go to a doctor and get that checked out. And 
of course, it all just took off from there and went downhill rapidly. So my plans to move to Nashville were kiboshed or basically put on hold as I did receive my cancer diagnosis. Okay. And so what were some of your initial feelings when you were diagnosed? I see that this came out of the blue. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, shock, I would say, is really the first one. Being 33, feeling relatively healthy, like I could maybe lose a little bit of weight, but feeling like a pretty healthy individual, I was just stunned and shocked and really fear. Of course, understandably, a lot of fear or kind of that feeling of terror sinks in because I think we hear the word cancer we do wonder. And I think that's very natural. It's like, am I going to die from this? Do I have a very limited amount of time left? Really, I was probably just mostly heartbroken. And I think the listeners will really relate to that. Just we all have plans, right? We all have plans in life. And it's like things that we've planned aren't going to pan out. I had mentioned that move I was planning to move to Nashville and was just really heartbroken that I'd sold my home and got out from under a mortgage. And then this wouldn't be happening. It's just so shocking. It's like we think we're on one path in life and then something happens very suddenly that, of course, we never planned for ourselves to go down. That's so right. Joy, I think what you just shared about like having plans and those plans completely changing and having to reevaluate everything is definitely something that's going to resonate with our listeners regardless of their age. So what was it like to navigate a diagnosis as a young adult at just 33? That's a great question because it honestly, it is super challenging. One thing that I found is you really do need a guide who's been there because I would meet with my friends and they would have this blank stare or this look of shock on their face because they were as shocked by my diagnosis as I was and to find out I had stage four and they're sitting there going, well, my grandpa had lung cancer, but gosh, I can't relate. And so you realize that so many people or people in my immediate circle, thankfully, had not been through cancer personally, but that's where I found or felt kind of the frustration of how am I going to find the support I need to get through this? I mean, the doctors and nurses, they're so great. They know the medical side, the medical system. So they're able to talk to you about your treatment or we'll take these pills or we'll have this surgery, we'll do these tests. And then I am so thankful for professional social workers like yourself because you and that whole field, the whole industry, everyone is also great resources of information and support. I was assembling that team. And again, I just found, though, that it's like you need that person who's been there, truly, that cancer patient who survived, who's gotten to the other side. Someone that can really offer that positive patient perspective is what I was looking for. And that's what I found was kind of challenging to find. And so when I got to the other side, it's like, well, why can't I be that voice? Why can't I be that help and that support and encouragement to guide so many others, whether they're young adults or beyond, older, through their cancer, their treatment, and their journey. Of course. And I think that what you said about finding that that person, right, 
it's so difficult. And you realize that through your own experience and telling your own story, you're able to do that for others. Now, when you were in the thick of it, right, in treatment, maybe going through some hard days, was there a point in time that you realized that you needed a little bit of a shift in, in your own perspective? Honestly, yes. There, there actually was a point to get real raw or emotional here. I took a hair loss shower that, again, a lot of listeners will likely relate to. And I found that was the most devastating thing. There were maybe some things or surgeries or recovery where maybe some things are physically painful, but I just found that hair loss shower to be the most emotionally painful thing that happened to me. And so what we did, my mom was my primary caregiver, and we decided to really control what you can. And I think that's such great advice for the listeners. And we decided to have my hair cut really short. But then, of course, it was still coming out on my pillow. And I remember having to vacuum my pillowcase in the morning or wash it frequently with all the hair that was on it. But I took a shower when that stream of water hit my head. I I mean, the hair was loose. And to be honest with you, I heard a splat sound because my hair was all coming out when the stream of water from the shower hit it and it was lying on the tub drain. And I mean, I heard that sound and I knew what it was. And so I turned around and looked at the drain and, and here's a whole bunch of my hair. And I just began sobbing like I don't remember sobbing before. And so, I mean, that definitely was a really low point. But I also realized after that shower, I got out of that shower and I still had some hair. Um, A lot of it came out when I put the shampoo in my hand or put my hand in my hair to suds. But I got out and I still had some, but I'm like, this is it. Again, control what you can. I'm not going through this. And the very next day we went to have have my head shaved. So just taking control and becoming a bald person. So then I'm a bald (laughs) 33-year-old single lady. I was unmarried. And for a while, you're moping around. I mean, I'll be honest. Everyone can relate to that. You're throwing yourself a pity party and you're having some of the, why me? Why is this happening to me? But then I just had this moment when I kind of realized, hey, you can mope around. I mean, you could draw the shades or throw the blanket over your head or hide and refuse to take phone calls and talk to people and withdraw. And I just realized, where's that going to get me? Because I'm still a stage four cancer patient. I still have to get up and have a surgery or whatever the treatment is. And you just kind of realize it's like moping around is not going to help. I mean, definitely give yourself permission to have those days because you will have those. But I just found shifting to that positive outlook made such a difference for me. And how did you make that shift to positivity? Yeah, really, I'd say just realizing that the moping around isn't going to help, that the sulking or withdrawing from friends and family who are trying to be there and support me, I I just had this moment of where is that going to get me? And so I was a motivational speaker or did training and public speaking actually before my cancer diagnosis. And so I've done a lot of training on communications and customer service and just 
recognizing the power of attitude. I think it's Jack Canfield in his book, The Success Principles, he wrote, in life, it's E plus R equals O. And E is the event in life and O is the outcome. And he didn't say E equals O. I mean, he didn't say this event in your life, a cancer diagnosis, automatically equals this outcome. You're depressed, you're bitter, you're withdrawing, you're angry. He said you have to factor in your response, the R. It's the event plus the response. That's what dictates the outcome. And I think that's really powerful. Just a great reminder that hey, none of us can control what happens to us, but what we can control is how we choose to respond to what happens to us. So what I did is actually something really cool. I really had a unique response to my complete hair loss. I thought instead of feeling sorry for myself when my hair came out, I thought, hey, it's a time to easily try out a variety of new looks. So you know, Sarah, how hard it is to change your look. And I mean, if you cut your hair and you don't like it, well, then you have to deal with that period where it's growing out and maybe going through some stages. And (laughs) so I realized, hey, I wouldn't have to deal with that for the first time in my life. And I started gathering all these wigs that were short hair, long hair, even different colors. I'm a brunette. And so I decided to try this reddish look. I called it my saucy redhead (laughs) look. And I had a family member take pictures of me modeling all these different looks. So I'd try on a wig and my mom would take pictures. And we use social media. We posted all these pictures to Facebook. That way, friends near and far could see them. And I had a CaringBridge site. I put them on too. And I really just let friends get involved and react and vote, essentially, is the way I put it. And I mean, that's just such a powerful example of how you choose your response to this event. And it totally shifted the outcome because. Actually, it became this really wonderful way to get my loved ones involved, and I was able to gather some much-needed support and really encouragement for the battle that lied ahead. And my friends who were kind of going, I don't know what to say, this gave them a chance to weigh in and go, oh my gosh, this super short hair look is really cute, or I love this hat, or look at this fun scarf. And it was just a way to show that support. And honestly, what an amazing way to take a very vulnerable experience like losing your hair and facing a whole identity change and taking it and making it something empowering going through that cancer treatment because it often ties to femininity and identity, but also, like you said, you get to choose. You get to choose how you respond. So I think that you grieved your hair loss. You made space to feel sad about it, right? This is really hard. And I've already acknowledged that. So now what? (laughs) You know, so now what? I don't remember the name of the book, but I know once I read, it's been my favorite definition of attitude, my life for my whole life, the book said, attitude is the way you choose to respond. And I remember underlining, you 
choose respond because yeah, it's just so powerful to be reminded, dare I say it actually transformed my total hair loss as a young adult from something that was really traumatic, obviously, when it happened in the shower to almost something that was fun to get friends votes and go out to Facebook and see, hey, what look is winning? What do people love? And <laughs> read the comments. And that was fun. I also know the opposite of fear is courage. And that's why I say we need encouragement for the journey because that helps us overcome the fear is when we're dealing with the opposite or getting that courage by being encouraged. And what a courageous act to put yourself out there like that on Facebook. And I think too, and this just speaks to your overall perspective of like having a positive outlook. I think a very trendy topic right now in the mental health space and even in the cancer space is this idea of toxic positivity, right? That, you know, with positivity, you can do anything. But I don't think that's what you're talking about. Can you talk about the difference of your outlook versus what others might consider to be more toxic positivity? Right. So yeah, this definitely was not toxic positivity because it's a balance. It's like a positive outlook. It it doesn't mean you'll be happy all the time, right? So you have to give yourself permission to have those off days. And one thing I think is really important too is to feel your feelings versus trying to suppress them. I mean, when I, obviously the day you're diagnosed, that's the worst day of your entire life. There's nothing happy or fun or, or positive about that. You have to go through the range of emotions that you're feeling. And I have a chapter of like do's and don'ts at diagnosis that I think are really important. My number one don't, <laughs> which is Googling or finding misinformation, which I know we'll get into, some resources that I recommend. But yeah, one thing I said is do get mad, sad, bitter, angry, depressed. I mean, there will be days you let the voicemails stack up or the comments and I'm not on social media. I'm crying. I'm in bed. I'm rolling around. I am saying, why me? I didn't reach for a bottle of wine or I mean a coping mechanism to numb or suppress the feelings. I sat with them and they're uncomfortable. I mean, it's not happy. It's not pleasant, but it helps you get through it and get to the other side. And there will be days in treatment where, hey, one day you're feeling great and maybe the next day you're like, ugh, I'm sick and this is just an off day. And yeah, don't try to be upbeat. I mean, don't force yourself. So yeah, I think that's the toxic positivity. And it's like, give yourself permission to have those off days and to work through your feelings. If you don't want to talk to someone, you can write about it. Or if you want to talk to someone, again, a professional like yourself, a social worker or a trusted friend, but definitely a balance. I love that. And I love the idea of really giving yourself permission on those tough days, right? There's a million different things that you can do to help you check in with your body and, and check in with your feelings, but it's about creating that balance. And I think that's really important for our listeners to hear. And so my next question is, how do you face cancer with joy, right? We talked about this a little bit, but what is the how? Yeah, for sure. So many ideas. So I will just give a few here to start with. I mean, one thing, like if I was moping around or kind of poor me or, or you know, I'm bald, I'm young, all, all that, I'm single. <laughs> and so 
play music. I mean, make a playlist, get out a song you love, something motivational, crank it up, blast it. I mean, get up, have an impromptu dance party. So like you said, there's so many things you can do to get a little bit of exercise or some physical activity, which is good for you. Like you said, get out and go for a walk, get some fresh air. Another thing I've done is just set a deadline too. If I realize I'm moping around or like when I first got diagnosed, it's like, okay, you know what? You're really kind of wasting precious time here. Now that you've been diagnosed with cancer, it's like, is this how you want to spend your life? And so I would say, I am in a bad mood. I am going to throw that pity party. And then you set yourself a deadline and you're like, okay, tomorrow I'm getting out of this funk. And I'll tell you a great thing I found too, is the next day you wake up, you're still in a funk. You're like, uh-oh, my deadline, right? I'm supposed to be getting better, like spending time enjoying myself. The quickest thing I have found is to grab a piece of paper. I just write blessings at the top of a piece of paper. Get a pen or pencil and just start writing. And that will shift your perspective. I found it did for me so fast when you start thinking of the absolute outpouring and such magnitude of so many blessings. I mean, I can walk, I can see, I can hear, I can feel, I'm safe, I have clean water to drink that's readily available at the faucet, I have a plethora of friends and family who love me and support me. You just start writing and before too long, you're like, what do I really have? I mean, yes, there's always things to be upset or or sad about, but it really helps to shift your perspective pretty quickly. So it's easy, it's free, and I found it was something great that worked for me. I think that aligns with a lot of other suggestions that we might give around um, the use of gratitude journal. Right. And we're not even saying, like, look at all the things that you have. You don't have to be upset. It's more so taking stock in that present moment of your safety, of the things that are in your control, of the things that, you know, you do have that might make your journey much more difficult if you didn't have access to. So whether it be blessings, whether it be things I'm grateful for or reasons to smile today, it could be anything. But I think the point is important, taking moments to reflect and say, okay, I know what I don't have, but what do I have? For sure. And the other thing I was going to add is I found really helpful when I'm feeling those emotions. I mentioned I sit with them and I don't reach for an unhealthy coping mechanism. I mean, I'll sit by the box of Kleenex, let the tears fall. But I also ask myself this great question and I found it surfaced so much information when I've asked it of myself and self-reflection, when I've asked it of others I'm coaching. I ask the word why. And I've just found if you keep asking that, how much terrific information it surfaces. So I'll give you an example. Like if you say, well, I'm sitting here and I'm terrified and I'm crying because I'm really scared. I mean, I have stage four cancer. I'm in my 30s. And what if I'm going to die? I mean, what if I have a very limited amount of time left? What if someone tells me I only have four months and I'm angry and you just start to go, why are you angry? Well, I'm angry because I'm 33 and I've barely lived my life. I mean, yes, I went to college and have a home and and have a career, but there's just so much why. You know, it's like, what else is missing? And you start to surface 
hey, I'm angry because I feel like this might be it. And I feel like I really haven't lived yet. And then you can make an actionable plan out of what can I do about it? So what can I do right now that will make me feel like I've lived? I would ask my doctors, hey, can I take off on a short trip and have those experiences which make you feel like you're living? And that starts to take away some of the anger, some of the frustration, some of the disappointment. So I think just asking yourself that why question and sitting for the answer to surface and seeing what it is, being true to yourself, and what can I do? Is there something on a smaller scale? Um, I know that's one episode of my podcast I've actually done is talking about wish fulfillment organizations or organizations that are there to help you once you've been diagnosed with cancer, maybe make some of these happen. Like we're all familiar with Make-A-Wish for kids. So organizations like that. Wow. Thank you, Joy. Honestly, I think that even that simple question of why and what it really means to to dig deep and uncover the root of some of these more difficult emotions and let's make a plan if we want to change it, right? Yeah, and I think absolutely. It, it takes courage sometimes to ask why because the deeper we go, the more real these feelings become. And so for listeners out there, if you haven't started asking yourself why just yet, and you're not ready, that's okay. But we really do encourage you to start there, to really start there, because I think that it's hard to come up with a plan for yourself with actionable steps if you don't really know how you feel or what's important to you or what your goals are after being diagnosed. Absolutely. Okay, so I know we, we've talked about shifting to a positive outlook and really having fun with this experience too, which can sound counterintuitive when we're talking about cancer, but I do think it's important to talk about that. So can you tell us a little bit about humor and what role humor played in your experience? Sure, happy to. Humor is so helpful. We've all heard the phrase, laughter is the best medicine, right? Laughter is the best medicine. And we've also heard the phrase mind over matter. And we do know about this growing body of evidence actually about the power of positivity and the power of the mind-body connection. So I mentioned that hair loss was the worst moment for me. But then just ongoing wearing a wig, there's so many fun or funny things that would happen. And I just chose to roll with it. So I actually have a little excerpt here from my Cancer with Joy book talking about when I was with my old boyfriend that I'd gotten back together with. So I was at his house one beautiful summer afternoon, and we decided to go visit his parents who lived about 30 minutes away. I was wearing one of my wigs that day, of course. We jumped in the car and he proceeded to speed up. This is a guy who loved to drive fast. <laughs> he opened the sunroof on the car and I could feel it happening. I felt movement on my head. He may have forgotten wigs are not stuck to your head like real hair is, but I think he realized it when I clamped my hand to the top of my head and said, hang on, hair. 
<laughs> he started laughing. I could just see my hair getting airlifted off my head, sucked up through the sunroof, and I would look in the rearview mirror only to see my hair rolling down the highway. I explained this to him and assured him if that did happen, I would not be the one to get out of the car bald and chase my wig hair down the highway, but someone would, meaning he would chase my hair down. Wigs are not cheap. We arrived at his parents' house where I had to relay the story that I chose to laugh at and not get angry over. I never yelled at him for opening the sunroof. It was a beautiful day to let the fresh air in. The funniest part came when his mom offered me a headscarf to tie around my chin to keep my hair on for the ride home. <laughs> so that's just a quick excerpt. I mean, also, there was a day I was at his house and a friend came over to borrow something and I had on, I think, a super short hair wig. And, you know, his friend's like, hey, man, thanks for loaning this to me. I'll bring it back to you tomorrow. So was, I knew his friend was coming back the next day. So the next day I put on a totally different wig. I think I wore the red, the long hair, the saucy redhead look. And oh my gosh, I mean, the triple take that his friend took because he thought I was a different girl <laughs> at the guy's house. And just those moments of humor and laughter are so good for you. I would go to meet friends for lunch and I would on purpose turn my wig sideways or get it off kilter. And then I'd walk in and kind of act, you know, whew. And I was like, do I look okay? And they'd kind of look at me because, I mean, my wig is off kilter and they're kind of going, I say something because it's actually not on right. And it just gave us such a great moment of laughter, a great way to break the ice. So humor plays in so many times. In my book, I've got a whole chapter of stories of others. I collected stories from others in case people don't relate to my 33-year-old young adult single story. One guy, he had colon cancer. He had part of his colon removed. So his new nickname, he said, well, I guess I'm a semicolon now that part of my colon is gone. <laughs> so just so many great examples. Allowing yourself to laugh is such a release. It's an emotional release. It also releases happy hormones in your body when you laugh. And I think that maybe not all experiences are able to find humor in them. But I do think that when possible, it really is such an amazing thing to be able to insert humor in and really be lighthearted sometimes. We've heard a lot about your experience from being diagnosed as a young adult and how you navigated the side effects and the positive outlook. So I know this is going to be a big question, but how has cancer and your cancer diagnosis and being a survivor, how has this changed your life? Oh, wow. Yeah. So a couple things I can think of right away is one, it puts things into perspective. So maybe things that used to upset me or bother me, and now I just dismiss, rolls right off my back, right? Once you confront your eventual mortality very suddenly, all of a sudden, unplanned, it really helps to give you this, what I find now is a really refreshing perspective that I'm actually grateful to have because I see others getting worked up and I'm thinking, oh, they haven't been through cancer, right? They haven't lost their hair. 
and I have this totally different let it go perspective. Another thing I can think of I'm really grateful for is I don't wait now or put things off. So I'm still a single lady and I will travel and I travel solo. I mean, if it doesn't work for family or friends to go to do like girlfriend getaways or long weekends, I just go on my own and I have an absolute blast because I get to do whatever I want. And sometimes if it doesn't work for family and they're trying to encourage me to wait, I again, kind of get that question, what am I waiting for? What am I waiting on? Why don't I just go now? And so I'll actually travel to recognize the day I was diagnosed. I call it my cancerversary because that was the worst day of my life. And I'm just trying to shift that day or at least put some happy memories on that day. So those are some of the examples of how the diagnosis has really changed me. I'd say for the better or things I'm really grateful for. That's amazing to hear when I think not only that, but it also inspired your book and your podcast. Can you talk a little bit more about those? For sure. So I was really inspired to write a book again, going into Barnes and Noble or looking on Amazon and just not I wasn't finding what I was needing. And so that's when I realized, hey, maybe if it's not here why not you? Why couldn't you be the one to put it out there? And really cool that my name happens to be Joy. So (laughs) a play on words there when I say, hey, you can face cancer with joy. That's the title of my book. And that's facing cancer with joy, literally with me. But you can also face cancer with joy figuratively, using humor, using joy almost as a coping mechanism instead of something unhealthy. I think on the back of the book I wrote, you know, no one's happy they have cancer, but you can have cancer and still be happy. And so just realizing that positive patient perspective is so needed is what really inspired me to share my story. The book I wrote several years back, and I just realized, hey, maybe people don't always have time to read a book, right? People will listen to my audio book. But I thought, what if I could just put something out there like on a weekly cadence or basis and make it free so people could just, again, hear my uplifting or comforting, soothing voice of that patient who's been there, who can guide them to so many helpful resources that honestly, they probably don't have time or the energy when you're going through cancer, cancer treatment and trying to live your life to find there's so many great things out there. So I thought, well, why don't I guide people to it or or bring it to them and they can listen while they're sitting in the hospital bed or driving to and from treatment or maybe doing a little pedaling on the exercise bike and a great way to get that as I said, a dose of joy. I love that. And for those that haven't had the chance to listen to Joy's podcast, you know, she really takes a deep dive into specific diagnoses and talks about resources. And and I think, Joy, you're right, that resource management and resource navigation for either newly diagnosed patients or those that are in the thick of treatment and don't really have the energy, it's so important. 
And so even to just pop on one of your episodes and to be able to listen during treatment or maybe in the car ride home or on a bad day when you're just kind of relaxing on the couch, I think it's such an awesome way to share information and also share information with insight because you have insight from the experience. Thank you. And that's what I would hear when I would speak to groups is you get those standing ovations, they feel so good, and then people line up, they want you to sign books for them, or they want to talk to you, they want to tell you their story. And that's one thing I've started calling for in my podcast is for people to even send me their non-medical questions. Some of my friends have started calling me the Dave Ramsey of cancer because, (laughs) you know, he has this radio show where people call and tell him their financial situation, and then he's able to tailor something specifically for them. So just connecting people has been super rewarding. And like I said, it's definitely needed. I I honestly think that there is so much room for this type of support in our community, and it's just really amazing to see. And so looking back on your experience, what is one suggestion or piece of advice that you would give to someone that's been newly diagnosed? Oh, wonderful question too. So can I say, listen to the Dose of Joy podcast? It's it's free. <laughs> and like you said, I, I go into do's and don'ts there and really do take that deep dive when it's the awareness month for a cancer, like when it was colon cancer awareness month, I did a show specific to that or testicular cancer awareness month or lung cancer, breast cancer. I go into all of that, but I touched on my number one don't earlier, which is don't Google. There's a website out there that doesn't seem to be widely known called cancer.net. And everyone knows about cancer.org, it seems, the American Cancer Society website. But cancer.net has so much great information. I talked about do feel the emotions that you're feeling. Don't try to suppress them with an unhealthy coping mechanism. I also say do get a second opinion because it's just so important to have someone else agree on the diagnosis that maybe your medical professional has reached and someone else to agree on that proposed treatment plan before you undergo. And I know we've talked a lot about hair loss. So I'd also say do check out Look Good, Feel Better, which is one of my do's in my book, but a website I also highlight in the podcast. So just so much great information and so many helpful resources out there. That's why I said you do really need that guide who's been there. And that's what I serve as, is someone who can help people after that diagnosis, connect them to all of these things. That's great, Joy. Really, really great. And I hope that some of our listeners will drop by your podcast because it's a really, really good resource. Before we wrap up today, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners about your experience or any other takeaways? So the resource that's bringing you this podcast, I think folks are checking them out, but be sure you check out Cancer care.org because that is a resource I highlight in my book and right there on their homepage, you can say who you are. So if you're listening and you're a cancer survivor, I know that's highlighted this time of year and you're looking for resources for survivorship, you can go there and say, hey, I'm a survivor. Cancer.net that I mentioned earlier also has a great page or section on cancer survivorship and moving beyond because there's a whole bunch of 
complex issues, of course, you're getting all this attention or frequent interaction with professionals and then treatment ends and you're kind of like, okay, now what? I'm not going to see my oncologist so regularly. And so just having a guide, a coach to talk to, someone to kind of help you with any of those fears, whether it's fear of recurrence, which I've had, guilt. I, I know I've honestly struggled with some survivor's guilt sometimes if someone else I know will pass from cancer. And so just coping with all of those issues, the large medical bills that show up and <laughs> you're setting up treatment plans to whittle those down. There's just a lot of things as you become a cancer survivor. And so I think it's really important to equip yourself, not just for the journey, but beyond kind of in that new new life or new world that you're navigating. But thank you so much for having me on. This has been great to visit with you. And I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much, Joy, for everything that you've shared with me today and with our listeners. It's truly invaluable. And in honor of Survivorship Month, we will be highlighting survivorship stories in our podcast. And like Joy said, there are plenty of resources on our website, cancercare.org. If you need any other information about survivorship or post-treatment and getting extra support, we have you covered. So again, thank you so much, Joy, for being with us. And until next time. Thanks for listening to Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care podcast. Cancer Care is the leading national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services, including case management, counseling, support groups, educational resources, and financial assistance to anyone affected by cancer. You can visit us online at cancercare.org or call our toll-free Hope line at 800-813-HOPE. That's 800-813-4673 to speak with a master's prepared oncology social worker.